This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Uh, and this morning we are going to look at the gospel story of Zacchaeus, which you can find on page 878 in your pew Bibles, which should be around. So I encourage you to grab a Bible and open up to Luke chapter 19. Uh, the story of Zacchaeus is a favorite of so many. It's such a wonderful, compact little story, isn't it? In just 10 short verses, Luke paints this vivid picture of Jesus' interaction with this wealthy Jewish tax collector, this guy who's despised by his community, but who experiences a radical conversion after he meets Jesus. And for so many reasons, the story of Zacchaeus is a favorite in children's storybook Bibles. Uh, perhaps it's that it's just short and sweet and it gets right to the point. But even Zacchaeus himself is portrayed almost like a child, isn't he? I mean, Luke says that he was small in stature. I believe the politically correct term now is vertically challenged. Uh, I was talking to Ken and Stephen about this passage, and he told me, he suggested that one potential moral to the story is, oh, how difficult it is for the tall to enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> but Zacchaeus has this childlike quality, doesn't he? I mean, the first thing we see him doing is shimmying up a tree to see Jesus, just like a little kid, which, of course, makes me think of the song. Anyone? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Okay, we'll stop there. Very good. You remember your Sunday school lessons. Often when we have like this strong Sunday school connotation with a Bible passage, as adults, we kind of adopt the perspective that there's got to be much more to the story that we need to understand than the simplified version we were taught as children. But I would argue that there is inherent in the story of Zacchaeus a childlikeness that Luke indeed wants us to notice. If you flipped your Bible back just one page to chapter 18, Luke tells us there the story of how parents were bringing their children that they might see Jesus. And then the disciples rebuke the parents for doing this, and Jesus says, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then Jesus ends with this very poignant phrase. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So Jesus is saying that children are not only welcome in the kingdom of heaven, but they actually model something for us about the kingdom of heaven. So I've been reading through Luke 18 and 19 this week and asking myself, what does Jesus mean? How do we receive the kingdom of heaven like a child? Okay, so maybe I can get a parent or two in the room to testify to this. One thing about children you might have noticed is they are unashamed to declare precisely what they need. Am I right? I'm hungry. I'm bored. I'm tired. I want my mom. Or one of my favorites over the years, a kid walks in the room with a dejected face. Dad, I need to tell you what I did. And then I learned they stole a piece of chocolate or something, and they just had to get it off their chests. 
A child is unashamed to tell you what it is they need. And I think that Zacchaeus here for Luke models how we too can receive the kingdom of God as a child because Zacchaeus is completely unashamed of what he needs. To borrow a phrase that Bishop Stewart has used for so many years, Zacchaeus is unashamed to need Jesus. And what's really helpful is that Luke also provides us with a counterexample of how not to receive the kingdom of heaven like a child. It's the story of the rich young ruler, which also happens in chapter 18. It's on page 877 in your pew Bible, and I invite you to turn there just for a moment. I want to look at this story first before we turn back to Zacchaeus. Because here is another wealthy man who encounters Jesus. But we quickly see that he doesn't want to look like he needs anything. Now, in all honesty, this guy appears to be an ideal citizen. He seems like the kind of man you'd be pretty happy if your daughter brought home to meet you someday. He's wealthy. He has a position of authority and respect within his community. And his conversation with Jesus actually suggests that he's very serious about his Jewish faith. But the conversation also reveals that this young man has a deep seated self-righteousness. It all starts with his question. Good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And then this young man's proud response to Jesus is, all of these I have kept from my youth. It seems like he's seeking to impress Jesus. But I love what the same passage in the Gospel of Mark says right at this very moment about Jesus, that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And then Jesus says, one thing you still lack Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. There's two amazing invitations that Jesus gives to the rich young ruler here. The first is, let it go. Lay it down. Lay down your wealth and possessions, your reputation, your sense of importance, because these things are actually blocking you from seeing the path, from seeing the person who leads to eternal life. And we face that same challenge, don't we? I mean, a lack of neediness is often considered a sign of maturity, as is just a sign, it looks like it's a sign of good planning. We can spend our lives and our money insulating ourselves from a sense of need. We get a good education, we save for retirement. We buy an extended warranty on our dishwasher. None of these are bad things, but they can slowly convince us that we don't need anything else or anyone else. And then Jesus' second invitation. Come follow me. Come and be my disciple. 
and discover what it is that you truly need. Jesus is saying, you asked about salvation? Come follow me because I'm on the path to win that salvation for you. So very early in the Gospel of Luke, there's a priest named Zechariah who has a long prophetic song of praise in which he proclaims that at the coming of the Messiah, the Lord will teach a knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. And now we're in the part of Luke's gospel where Jesus is making his way towards Jerusalem and towards the cross. So the cross overshadows all these stories. Jesus is on his way to lay down his life and to win salvation as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And as Jesus goes, he's looking for those who recognize that they are sinners in need of such a savior. The rich young ruler came to Jesus with a question about eternal life, but in his pride, he can't follow Jesus, who himself is the way, the truth, and the life. He comes to Jesus, but he comes with non-negotiables, his wealth and his position and his status. And he's too proud to admit that he is a sinner in need of a savior. And so the conversation ends with this young man turning and walking away from Jesus sad. Okay, so here's the uncomfortable question I've been trying to be honest with myself about this week. Do I bring any non-negotiables to Jesus? Is it my job? Is it my reputation or my health? My brute physical strength? <laughs> I don't know why anyone laughed. <laughs> but in all honesty, how would I respond if Jesus asked me to lay one of these things down and to come and follow him? None of them are bad, right? But do you ever carry any of them as non-negotiables in following Jesus? Are any of them sources of pride that can actually cause you to lose sight of your fundamental need for a Savior, your fundamental need of Jesus? Okay, let's just let the story of the rich young ruler kind of hang out there. And those questions, let's let those hang out there. And let's turn from the sadness of this young man to the childlike joy we see in the story of Zacchaeus. Flip back to the beginning of chapter 19. So like the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus is also very wealthy, but for all the wrong reasons. Uh, Deacon Will touched on this last week, but a tax collector was like the last job you ever wanted your Jewish son to have. Tax collectors worked on behalf of the occupying Roman government, and they collected taxes from their own people. And the way they actually made their income was to collect extra from people. They were known for defrauding everyone or most of the people they collected from. And Zacchaeus actually admits to that reality in our story. And Luke says that Zac Zacchaeus was actually a chief tax collector. 
This probably points to how long he'd been doing it and how far up the ranks he had, he had, asc- he had ascended. So I was trying to think of some kind of contemporary parallel to a chief tax collector. And this story came to mind of several years ago when I bought a car. Okay, I've had lots of good experiences buying a car, so this is not a sweeping generalization. I want to tell you about this specific example I had one time. I entered the dealership, and I was greeted by a salesperson, and I told him, hey, I, uh, I, I saw an advertisement for 0% financing. And he said, great, let's sit down and talk about it. So the salesman sits me down at his desk, and behind his desk, kind of raised up a few steps, is this glass-encased office where a sales manager is standing, and his hair is slicked back. He's got a suit on, and he's kind of looking down at all the customers, sort of like sizing them up. And the first thing the salesman says to me is, well, sir, actually that 0% financing doesn't apply to the vehicle you'd like to buy, but here's what I can do for you. And he scribbles some numbers on a piece of paper and draws a red line and says, would you sign for that deal right here, right now? And I'm like, I can't even read your handwriting. <laughs> 45 minutes of math I didn't understand, deals he keeps offering me, I'm starting to wear down, my eyes are getting bleary, and then he moves to phase two. And in phase two, he starts getting up from his desk, going up the steps into the sales manager's office. The sales manager looks at me, whispers something to the salesman. Salesman comes back down and says, my manager has just permitted me to make this deal to you. So when we have 45 minutes of that, back and forth, back and forth, and I'm just thinking, I think I just want to go home. I'm so tired. And then they move to phase three. And in phase three, the sales manager himself comes and sits down. They've worn me down, and now here comes the closer. And the first thing he says to me is, Mr. Williamson, I'm going to make you an offer I have never made on this vehicle before. I have a hard time believing that because he was also using phrases like, don't worry about the math I'm doing right now. But but somehow, after another 45 minutes, completely exhausted, I'm walking out of there with a new car with monthly payments that last way longer than I ever wanted and the per month rate being way higher than I wanted uh, to spend. And every time I walk by that car dealership, I still kind of get this little like (laughs) tick in my neck and shoulder. Okay, so imagine now that that's the only car dealership in town and we all have had to purchase a car from this guy. And imagine that we all learn that he's actually overcharging all of us by a few thousand dollars and pocketing the extra money, and there's nothing we can do about it. And we start to get a picture for how the people of Jericho felt about Zacchaeus. Everybody had a story of being swindled by Zacchaeus or one of his cronies. He was wealthy, but unlike the rich young ruler, nobody respected him. And that's where our story begins. Jesus is passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And then in verse 3, we read that Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. He's never met Jesus before. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He was a little guy. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Zacchaeus, he's never met Jesus before. But he's certainly heard stories, right? Rumors have been circulating through Judea. The healings that Jesus has performed, 
Perhaps Zacchaeus has heard stories about how Jesus actually spent time with people like Zacchaeus, people despised by their community, people labeled sinner. And something stirred inside this broken and sinful man. He just had to see who Jesus was. And it didn't matter how embarrassing it was. He was going to find a way to put his eyes on him. And this had to be super awkward for the people. Imagine next week, this sales manager shows up at church for All Saints Sunday, and all the kids are gathered around the font to watch the baptisms. And he's back in that chute, and he's climbing up the railing, kind of bobbing his head around, trying to see the baptisms over the heads of the kids. We'd be like, is that Zach, the sales manager? What is he doing? So then we come to verse 5. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. What I really love here, especially in comparison to the story of the rich young ruler, is that Zacchaeus was simply seeking to see Jesus. He didn't bring a question. He didn't seem to have any other agenda. He just wanted to put his eyes upon him. And then Jesus sees him. I love that we don't know how Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. It's like this little tiny Jesus miracle that just passes right by as we can continue through the story. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus scurries on down the tree, and in contrast to the sadness of the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus receives Jesus with joy. It's the joy of being seen by Jesus. It's the joy of being in the presence of Jesus. But then, of course, look at the response from his community, the people of Jericho, in verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Okay, so the first thing to note about this statement is that it's completely and utterly true, right? Zacchaeus was a sinner. He was a notorious sinner. And Jesus has indeed gone in to be the guest of a sinner. So the problem is not that they identify Zacchaeus as a sinner. The problem is that somehow they've distinguished themselves from Zacchaeus. They seem to think that people who avoid certain sins are deserving of time with Jesus, while those who cross certain lines should have no access to him. So maybe the crowd, the people in the crowd, have an advantage in the fact that their sins, they haven't been as damaging or disruptive to their community as, as those of Zacchaeus' have been. But Zacchaeus's advantage is that he knows that he doesn't deserve to be with Jesus. He simply knows that he needs to be with Jesus. So have you ever been offended by the gospel in this way? 
Do you ever think to yourself that Jesus' love for sinners, it shouldn't extend quite that far? Let's be clear. The people of Jericho had plenty of reason not to trust Zacchaeus, but that's a different thing. Even after he has a radical conversion, I don't think anytime soon they should should be making him the church treasurer. But Jesus, Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on his way to die for the sins of the world. And as he says in the end of this passage, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And the thing about Zacchaeus is that he knows that he's lost. He knows he's a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus came to save sinners like Zacchaeus. Jesus came to save sinners like the woman caught in adultery. Jesus came to save sinners like me and like you. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need a Savior. All of us need Jesus. So once we move to verse 8, it seems like maybe we skipped over the dinner conversation between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Did Jesus confront him on his sin? We don't know. But Zacchaeus is not going to minimize his sin. He's not going to go easy on himself. There's no guile. There's no pretense in Zacchaeus. He stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. There's this childlike excess to the restitution that Zacchaeus offers. The strictest form of the Jewish law in circumstances of fraud would require the offender to pay back four times the amount they had stolen. But Zacchaeus, he wants to do even more. So he offers to give half of his goods away to the poor on top of the required restitution. So there's this beautiful progression we see in Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus. First, he just needs to see Jesus, to be in his presence. And like a little boy, he's unashamed to make that happen. And then once he's in Jesus' presence, he is fully, completely aware of his sin. And not only does he confess it, but in a true act of repentance, he turns in the opposite direction and he makes a radical amendment of life, an amendment towards a life of generosity. And so the conversation that starts with, I must stay in your house today, it finishes with, salvation has come into this house today. Zacchaeus, unlike the rich young ruler, was seeking Jesus. And Zacchaeus is the one who, in seeking Jesus, finds eternal life. I also think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't make the same invitation to Zacchaeus that he made to the rich young ruler. He never says, come, follow me. 
So why is that? Well, perhaps it's because whereas the rich young ruler needed to be freed from his attachment to his position, his wealth and resources, his status, it looks like maybe Zacchaeus is called to stay right where he is. He's experienced radical transformation through his encounter with Jesus. And now he begins the long, slow work of rebuilding trust with the people in his community. The rich young ruler saw himself as a moral person, as a good person. Zacchaeus saw himself as a small person, as a sinner in need of a savior. And he was unashamed to need Jesus. I read a a quote from a Christian writer that I think sums up the difference between these two. This, This writer says, a religion of morality devolves to a religion of self. It's powerless against our pride. But when a commitment to self collides with Jesus, then it's our pride that's powerless. And we know exactly where our hope lies. So brothers and sisters, may the Lord protect us from a religion of self, that we would not turn away when Jesus asks us to lay something down and to come and follow him. And may the Lord give us the grace to follow the way of Zacchaeus, whose heart's longing was to see who Jesus was, who was unashamed to need Jesus. And in finding Jesus, he found salvation through the forgiveness of his sins. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.